the end of the book of Revelation that was written by John, who wrote the gospel that we're currently reading, uh, we're told that the risen Jesus said to John, I'm coming quickly. And John adds his amen to that. He says, amen, come, Lord Jesus. All Christians pray those prayer, that prayer from time to time. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen, Lord Jesus, come. But I think that most often when people pray it uh, today, that they pray it because things have gotten really bad, either for us personally or we look at the world around and we breathe the prayer, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We can't see any way out. We can't see how this could get better. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But John prayed that prayer for a, a different reason than I think that we often do. Peter wrote about the return of Jesus, and he said to his hear, hearers, he said, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you don't see him now, you rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory. And in our own experience, we've only ever known a world in which Jesus has ascended into heaven. We've never had his physical presence here with us. We've got the record of the things that he said and did while he was among us here. But they had the experience of hearing his voice, of feeling his touch, of seeing with their own eyes the incredible things that he did, hearing with their own ears the surprising, sometimes shocking things that he said. And no one, I don't think, of his disciples loved him more than Mary Magdalene had loved him. In Luke's gospel in chapter 7, we're told of a story of Jesus eating at the home of a Pharisee by the name of Simon. And uh, in Luke's account, an unnamed woman comes in and she pours costly perfume on the feet of Jesus. And Simon, in his heart, scoffs at that woman and scoffs at Jesus. Remember what he said? He said, he said if, if, if he knew what kind of woman that was, he wouldn't allow her to touch him. And Jesus rebukes Simon, really scolds him. And he, and he states this principle. He says, the one who has been forgiven much loves much. There's some New Testament scholars who believe that that woman was Mary Magdalene, but whether it was Mary Magdalene or not Mary Magdalene had been delivered from much. And she loved much. And last week, as we were uh, reading at the start of John chapter 20, we saw uh, Mary go back, seeing the tomb open to Peter and John, calling them, and they run to the tomb. They verified that the tomb was empty. And then in, in resignation, I suppose, because they don't know what else to do, they leave. But Mary... Mary, she can't bring herself to leave. 
I'm going to read to you today from John's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 10 through 18. These are John's words, and this is the word of God. When the disciples went back to their, then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news I've seen the Lord and she told them that he had said these things. God's word. Father, though we have not seen Jesus, we love him. And though we don't see him now, help us to believe in him and to rejoice with the joy that is inexpressible and full of glory as we understand from your word. And Father, we pray by your filling us with your Holy Spirit, your great love for us and your great care for us. Amen. Mary stood at the tomb, crying, stayed at the tomb because she'd suffered an incalculable loss. You know, when I was uh, young and a young Christian, I did not fully realize how fallen the fallen world is. I probably still don't realize it. And, And you know, you think about when you're young, for those of you who have passed that threshold, that when you're young, the heartaches that are suffered, they're relatively few. And, and as, I, as I got older, as I crossed that threshold, things began to change. I can remember wondering, what, what went wrong? What's happened? And then it dawned on me that loss, that grief, that pain is cumulative. And the longer you live, the more grief, the more heartache you'll know. You go through life meeting people, and the more people you know, the more people you'll lose. The longer you live, the more the law of averages in a fallen world catches up. And and I can remember 
coming to that time of understanding not just the words, but existentially understanding the wisdom of Ecclesiastes 9.11. I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift, nor is the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, nor wealth to the brilliant, nor favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. And there are some losses that you'll suffer in life that you will feel deeply. Feel like I'll, I'll never get over this. I'll never recover from this. And in truth, there are some losses for which you will walk with a limp the rest of your life. I've suffered that kind of loss. Some of you have too. It's the kind of loss that Mary had. But her loss was even greater. See, Jesus had not just been her beloved friend and teacher. He was the one on whom she and and all of her companions had placed their hopes. Jesus was not just a part of her life. Jesus was her life. He healed and helped and loved and he healed her and helped her and loved her. She'd been delivered from great evil. He was her salvation. Her savior and her Lord. He was her link to the God that she had known herself to be deeply alienated from. John writes in verse 9, they still didn't understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. John's gospel was the last of the gospels to be written. It was written decades after the other gospels. He had time to reflect on the events that had taken place and their meaning. And in hindsight to that, John concludes, we should have understood from the scripture what was happening. But the other gospel accounts written closer to those events give a more immediate reason. In Luke chapter 24, verse 5, we read, he is not here, he has risen don't you remember he told you while he was still with you in Galilee and Jesus had told them on more than one occasion he told them what was going to happen that he would be handed over that he would be crucified that on the third day he would rise but they they couldn't fathom what he was saying you know sometimes uh, as we look at the people on the pages of scripture, whether the Old Testament or the New Testament, uh, sometimes we foolishly comfort ourselves that if I had been there, I would have done better. I, I would have known. I would have been able to figure it out. I would have understood. And you might say, well, how could they have not known Jesus? You know, he raised Lazarus and others from the dead and, and we saw it happen. And so would it be difficult for us to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, but we didn't see the events with our eyes? 
And it was Jesus who had raised them. And now Jesus was dead. And those that Jesus raised had died in relative peace. Whatever they suffered, it seems that most of those at least that Jesus raised had died at home being comforted by those around them. So Lazarus dies at home in his bed with his sisters seeking to comfort him. And the little 12-year-old girl of the official is lying at home in bed being comforted by her parents. And when they passed, it must have looked like they could have been sleeping. Jesus didn't. His face was swollen from the beatings. His back flayed open to the muscle. His body mangled on a Roman cross. They saw him like that. And if you can bear to use your mind's eye to picture the scene, you'll realize that it was not unreasonable for them to think no one's coming back from that. Mary had suffered an incalculable loss. But she was about to experience an unimaginable joy. She goes back to the tomb. I don't know why we do such things, but goes back to where Jesus was. And she looks in, maybe just to see one more time. John tells us that there were two angels sitting on the slab where Jesus had been, and they ask her, why are you crying? And Mary tells them what she's concluded, what she told the disciples. They've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they put him. You know, sometimes uh, people will ask, sometimes sincerely, I've heard it asked mockingly, well, shouldn't she have realized something was up when she was talking to angels? That's not a kind of a common occurrence. Are we supposed to understand that they just commonly had interaction with angels? But what do you think angels look like? I guess if Hollywood's our guide, we might have some idea. But if the Bible guides us, they're not all six-winged seraphs and two-winged cherubim. Luke and Mark, as they report this scene, say that it's young men who were sitting there. The angels who were sent to Sodom were mistaken for mere men. Hebrews 13.2 tells us, Do not neglect to show hospitality to, to strangers, for some by doing so have entertained angels without being aware of it. She doesn't know that she's talking to angels. And she then turns and sees Jesus and doesn't realize it's Jesus. We're not told why she doesn't know. You know, we've got the account in Luke 24 of the two disciples walking along the road to Emmaus that they encounter Jesus. They walk with him. They talk with him. They don't realize that it's Jesus We're not really exactly told why that is, but they certainly weren't as close to him, those disciples. One of them is named uh, Clopas. 
Certainly not as close as Mary was. Why didn't she recognize that it was Jesus? Perhaps it was simply that it's hard to see through eyes so filled with tears. Woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And she thinks at this hour it must be the gardener, the cemetery groundskeeper. It's in speaking her name that Mary knows. And can you, can you picture it? With a, with a shout of recognition, she goes up and she grabs onto him. She's lost him once. She's not going to again. She won't let go. Yeah, you, you know, with, 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 with some of the horrible things that are in the news that we hear today, when parents uh, go to the school where some terrible act of violence has happened, waiting with bated breath, wondering if their child is okay, and they, and they find that their child has been spared. There have been instances where those parents have grabbed onto those children and they won't let go for hours. Mary lost him once. She couldn't bear to lose him again. But she must let go. It's the only way to have an unprecedented closeness to Jesus. Now, you know, different translations render verse 17 differently. The King James is probably the worst translation. It says, touch me not, and we could say, don't touch me, which, which makes it sound like, I don't know, that, that Mary was uh, too much of a sinner to be touched by Jesus. Of course, if that were true, it would be true before the resurrection and after. The NIV, which I read from today, is, is better. Do not hold on to me. But best, I think, is the NASB. Stop clinging to me. Stop clinging to me. The, the grammar... Uh, indicates not don't do something that you're contemplating doing, but rather stop doing something that you're doing. Stop clinging to me. And Jesus tells her why. It's not because he's too holy now for her to touch him. It's because he's got to return to the Father. This is not... So that they would be separated from his presence, but so that he would be more intensely present. You know, the angels said of the resurrection, the other gospel writers tell us, remember what he told you. We need to remember from this gospel what Jesus told us. Back in chapters 14 through 16, He spoke about it. He said, but I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
He said, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. And he said, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. He's ascending to the Father to send the Holy Spirit. Not to deprive us of his presence, but to make that presence more permanent. He's, his going to the Father and sending the Spirit will not increase our distance from him and from God, but it will decrease the distance. And in the coming of the Spirit, Christ will, as he said, be in us, who is the hope of glory. And Mary needs to hear that. And she needs to believe it and she needs to act upon it and she needs to obey it. And we do too. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. When Jesus returns, his presence with us will be even greater. But if Jesus is to be taken at his word, his presence and his closeness to us now are greater than when he physically walked with his disciples. Do you believe that? Do you live it like it's true? The Holy Spirit is the promise, the gift, the seal of every true believer in Christ. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body and we were all given the one spirit to drink. In Romans 8, he says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Every true believer in Jesus has the spirit of Christ. But you're called to live that out. To live in and foster the intimacy that you have with God in Christ. So we're commanded in Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit, which is different than simply having the Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19, we're commanded, do not quench the Spirit. And in Galatians 5.25, we're exhorted that if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. 
Intimacy, my friends, involves two people. There is and can be no intimacy in which one person is close, one person is loving, one person is active, and the other person is unresponsive. Christ died to bring us to God, to make us the children of God. And he rose to give us new life. And he ascended to the Father and sent his spirit so that we could have intimate communion with him. Do you? Are you? Are you cultivating in your life that closeness, that fruit of the Holy Spirit of Christ, of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control? The intimacy that we may have with Christ is unprecedented. It's not automatic. Christ redeemed image bearers, not blocks of wood. And it calls for a response. Intimacy exists between persons. You long to be close to Christ? He sent his Holy Spirit to be in you. To be closer to you than he ever was with his disciples when he walked among them. Are you responding to his presence? Because if you are, the prayer, come quickly, Lord Jesus, will take on a whole new meaning than simply, please deliver me from my present difficulty. Father, thank you for your great love for us. And Lord, your son Jesus has not abandoned us. He's not left us as orphans, but he's come to us in the coming of the Holy Spirit. And Father, help us to be filled with that spirit, not to quench that spirit. Help us to keep in step with that spirit. So to be conformed to the image of your son, to experience with you great intimacy, great closeness, that will be all the greater when the day dawns and our Lord returns. And Father, we'll give you thanks and praise for your work in us. Amen. Amen.